Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. It is a joy to sing to Jesus with you. Uh, one of my, the, just the highlights of my week, every single week, is standing there in the front row and just hearing the church sing. It's a beautiful sound, and I just love it. So church, it is a joy to worship Jesus alongside of you. If we haven't met, my name is Paul. I'm the teaching pastor here. And again, so grateful uh, that you've chosen to join us to worship Jesus this morning. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, maybe it's your first time here, I just want to uh, encourage you, if you would, uh, before you go, if you go to lpguest.com, uh, or if you scan one of the QRs that you'll, QR codes that you'll see on the chairs in front of you or the stanchions, uh, there's a digital guest information card. We'd love to have you fill that guest information card out so we can connect uh, with you. We'll donate $5 to one of our partner ministries if you do that as well. So please take a moment uh, to do that, if you would. I also want to just encourage us uh, toward the LifePoint Ohio app. Uh, in the app, there's a lot of different resources. Uh, you can follow along with today's message in the app and make notes. It's interactive. Um, and I also say in the app is something called the Drivecast. It's a daily podcast from the teaching pastors across our six LifePoint campuses. It's five to ten minutes long, uh, depending on how wordy the teaching pastor gets. It's a great addition to your day to be consistently and faithfully in the Word. Now, today we are continuing on. Uh, in this series called Love's Pure Light, and it's really an Advent series. And Advent uh, really means the arrival or the coming of, and, and there, there are two Advents, aren't there, right? There, there are two Advents. There's the first Advent in Christmas. There's the second Advent as we await the arrival of Jesus when he returns. But Christmas is the constant reminder that God is faithful to keep his promises, Right, the, the consistent reminder that he did promise a Savior, and in Christmas, the Savior was born into the world, God with us, Emmanuel. And in this series, what we've seen is this consistent person of Jesus and who he is. Before we get into Colossians, though, as we will be, I, I want to spend a little bit of time in a review just of the past year. Um, this year has been um, pretty incredible when you think about it, at least from the perspective of the church. Every single week, our staff team, we have a staff meeting. We meet together on Monday mornings at 8 a.m., which is, makes me a bad boss uh, to make our staff meet at 8 a.m. on Monday mornings. Um, usually, we meet virtually because everybody else has uh, full-time jobs and things. This week, we got to meet in person, and, and I asked our team, hey, how have you seen God's faithfulness over the past year? And we got really, really great answers about how our team has seen God's faithfulness over the past year. Then I was Thinking about that, well, how is this church, this body of Christ that we call LifePoint in Marion, how have we seen God's faithfulness over this past year? And of course, there are a lot of different things that we could say, but, but I think sometimes when we just keep moving, we forget to look back. I think of the story in, in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is walking and there's these 10 lepers that approach him and they're asking for healing. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And as they go, they are healed of their leprosy. Nine of them keep walking. One of them returns to Jesus and praises him and worships him and thanks him for the miracle that he has performed. And Jesus essentially looks at him and says, weren't there 10 of you? Where are the other nine to thank me for what I've done? And I think oftentimes we can forget to thank God for just what he's done. And so at the life, and just within the life of the church over this past year, in 2022, last year, we had the privilege to baptize one individual, which was amazing Praise God. It was a huge milestone and marker in her life and her walk with Jesus. This year, we had the opportunity to baptize 11 people. 11 people. Yeah, like, let's go. Praise God. 
11 people saying, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm committing to that alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ. This isn't the finish line. This is the starting point in so many ways for my walk with Jesus. Baptism isn't about perfection. It's about saying you have committed your life to Christ. We saw that this year. Over the past uh, year, we've seen so many people take steps into life groups. Over the past several months, we've launched five new life groups, which is just incredible. That's people stepping in com- into community and trying to live out this ridiculous statement we have on our windows that says we want to be a church where no one walks alone. That's a really easy statement to fail at, but we can achieve it, Lord willing, through the context of our life groups. We got to move into this facility over this past year and be, be in the heart of downtown, which is incredible. Also, as we move into two services next week, as Brad mentioned, going forward, frankly, when, when that was sort of the decision that um, I came to and Ben and I came to, we, we sat down and we said, okay, how many people do we need to add to life teams? And it was like 720. That's what it felt like, at least. And I was like, I don't know. Just looking at the numbers and knowing who we have and who's already serving, like, I, frankly, it doesn't really seem possible. But we knew, like, God, this is what you're calling us to do. So we're just going to take a step of faith and say, we're going to do it. And over the past several weeks, over the past five, six weeks, God has added over, I think, around 20 folks to our life teams, which is just stunning. So church, thank you for how you stepped up. And as we look around the room and we, we consider the prospect of going to two services, you might think, well, is there going to be anybody in these services? Right? And frankly, it's going to be a little thin. It will be. It's going to be like, whoa, what happened? I thought we were growing. I thought God was doing awesome stuff. He is. But this is about the health of the church and making room for more people. So if you don't like an empty room, invite people in. Right? Christmas Eve is a great opportunity to do that. We have invite cards out at Guest Central on the table. Invite one person to say, hey, would you consider coming to Christmas Eve with me? What's the worst that can happen? They'll say no? Okay, thanks. Invite another person, right? Invite somebody in and see what the Lord does with that. And so I just, again, church, I just want to look back and say, God, praise you. And there's so many more things that we could praise him for. And I would encourage you in this season to take a, to take a step back and say, Lord, how have I seen your faithfulness in my life personally? And how can I worship you because of it? And so for some of us, this has been a really, really hard year. This has been a difficult, trying year. And yet I think when we look for it, we'll see evidence of God's enduring power. We'll see evidence of God's undeserved grace toward us. We'll see evidence of God's faithfulness all over our lives. And so what I want to do before we get into our text, I just want to pray. Praise and worship Jesus for his goodness to us. And so let's do that. God, we are assembled here and you hear us, you incline your ear to us because you are a good and loving father. Jesus, you have rescued us and you've saved us. And for anybody not yet in a relationship with you that is here this morning, Work in them in such a way that they see your beauty, they see your wonder, and they want to be transformed by you and saved from their sins. God, as we look at the work you've done in our body, we praise you and we thank you and we say you alone are worthy of the glory, the honor, and the praise. Thank you, God, for doing what only you can do in our midst. Thank you for using us in the process. We worship you, we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Really, really good. It's just encouraging. So back to our series. We're in Colossians chapter 1. And week 1, we saw that Jesus gives us hope. We saw that we connected that into Colossians 1. Uh, We're still in Colossians 1 throughout the entirety of this series. Last week, uh, Ben did a great job showing us how Jesus gives us joy. And I love this connection between gratitude and perspective and how that leads to joy. Today, what we're going to see is Jesus gives us peace. Okay, Jesus gives us 
peace, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but there's really a driving central question for today, and that question maybe seems overly simplistic, but it's this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And you might immediately have an answer. If you would go all over the world, you'd get all sorts of different answers from a, a lunatic to God, right? You get all this spectrum of answers of who is Jesus. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to allow the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, to provide us a biblical answer to the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? And then there are implications to exactly who Jesus is that will shape our lives today and transform our lives eternally. And so I'm pretty, frankly, I'm pretty fired up about it because uh, it's just a stunning passage. And I will say uh, what we're about to read requires a lot of theological depth uh, or study. And, and frankly, we could spend six, seven, eight weeks just on these six verses. We have one week. And so what that means is I'm not going to do justice to the beauty of these verses, um, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will, will be gracious to me and, and allow us to understand and to have a higher, more correct, more beautiful view of who Jesus is. And so, Lord, help us, please, in Christ's name, to help us understand. The verses say this. I'm going to read them in their entirety, and then we'll go through it. He is the image of the invisible God, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. So stunning. So then back to this question, who is Jesus? The Apostle Paul, I think, gives us at least six answers. Who is Jesus? The first answer comes in the first half of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, we have to ask then, well, what does that mean? When we hear the word image, that can mean a lot of things. And I think when we, we think of image biblically even, it can, it can mean something possibly different than, than what it actually does mean. So, for example, in Genesis 1, verses 20, verse 26, what we see is that God creates us in his image. Right? We see God saying, well, let us make them and shape them in our image. We got the verse right here for you. So right? it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That our here refers to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so you and me, we are made in God's image. And I think there's just an anecdotal point here, specifically to the young people in the room, and, and very specifically to the young uh, women in the room. Uh, your beauty, your value is not based off of a social trend or, or a fad. Your beauty and your value is based off of the fact that you're created in God's image. All right? It, it doesn't matter what the world, you're like, oh, I, I don't measure up in this new thing and that new thing. No, you're, you're, your, your value is based on God created. Your beauty is based on who God is and your reflection of that God, okay? I just want to make that clear. And so then why did God create us in his image? I think we need to ask that. If you go to Genesis 1, verse 28, what you'll see is this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. And I know we've been over these verses before, but God creates them in his image to then send them out to multiply and subdue creation so that the image of God would be represented to all of creation and we would be a reflection of who God is, which would lead to the glory of God. Now here's the issue with us being image bearers of God. We are sinful. We are flawed. We are undeniably flawed by sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken his covenants. We've all broken his commandment. And so you and I, though we are made in the image of God, we imperfectly reflect the image of the perfect God. You see that? It's a faulty, in a sense, broken view. I'm actually going to go through a series uh, in January called Broken Mirrors that really talks about that concept going through the book of Hebrews. And so in this then, okay, so when it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, what then does it mean? And here I think it's helpful to get into the, to the Greek and some of the nuances, okay? The Greek word used here for image is akon, or you can think of it as icon, right? It's where we get the word icon, and, and this, it, it means this. I've got the definition up on the screen here for you. Uh, one second, go to the next one. I, I skipped over that accidentally, but I'll get to it. Oh, wait a minute, go back. I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. So icon... All right, icon essentially means the manifestation of, okay, the manifestation of or the reflection of. And so what we can say is that Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. He is, he is the fullness of God. There, there it was, verse 19, right? Verse 19 says this, that, that Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so what we can say is when Jesus came to earth, God with us, Emmanuel, what we can say is that Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh, the fullness of God, all of God's incredible attributes, his, his all-knowing power, his holiness, his goodness, his omnipresence, his justice, his judgment, everything that is a characteristic of God, the fullness of all of that, is in Christ. So who is Jesus? Answer number one, Jesus is God. Pretty amazing. Okay, now, that's just answer one. Answer number two, we get back into verse 15. It says, the firstborn of all creation. Now again, this could trip us up a little bit. What does firstborn mean? Typically, and historically, I shouldn't say typically, historically, this verse has been misinterpreted to say that Jesus is a created being. What's the issue if Jesus is a created being? Well, if Jesus is a created being, what that means is he can't be God, right? And I just said Jesus is God. And so what does firstborn mean? Well, once again, we've got to dig into the Greek. And this one I think I actually have on the screens for you. That's my bad. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Bo. I messed you up there. This one. So prototokos right, is, is the word for firstborn. It means priority in time or supremacy in rank. Prototokos. So, so, so when it says firstborn, essentially both of these things are in view. Okay, if you go into the Gospel of John, you go into John chapter 1, and I don't think I bookmarked it, which is unfortunate for situations like this. Go into John chapter 1, and what it opens with is this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And so in the beginning, before all things, and then you jump down to verse 3, it says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so what we see here is this, this picture 
that Jesus is the Word. In verse 14 of, of the Gospel of John, what you see is that the Word became flesh, right? The Word became flesh. And so what we can know is that Jesus is this Word that, that through all things, all things were created. He is supreme. Jesus is both the creator and the ruler of all things. Again, just magnifying, Lord willing, our view of exactly who Jesus is. Now, that's just verse 15. Those are our first two answers. Continuing on, who is Jesus? Verses 16 and 17 say this, For by him all things were created, which backs up everything that we just said, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. Spiritual things, physical things. He's the creator of all things, and he is over all things. And I was, you know, just... This was just in, in moving just excitement up in me. So I, I, I get excited about space pictures and stuff. And so um, relatively close to Earth, relatively, we have a picture of, of Jupiter, right? So this giant red dot, you've probably heard this one before, this red dot is the size of Earth. It just sort of is like, that's really big. Jesus created that. It's just cool. I, and I mean, it's just like, Jesus created that. Next, next picture, we have a picture of the sun, all right? This thing over here, it's called a solar flare. I don't know how the people who figure these things out figure them out, but it's estimated that that solar flare is a million miles long. A million miles, just a little bit of perspective. If we were all to hop on a couple of buses and we were to drive down to Miami, Florida, and then drive back, it's about 2,400 miles, it would take us 417 trips to travel a million miles. And that's just our sun. Jesus created it spoke it into existence by the power of his word. Like, hello, that's amazing. Look at just this, uh, this, I don't even know what you call this, but it's just stunning. I mean, billions upon billions of stars in our universe, and Jesus spoke it into existence because he's God. It should move us. It should make us in awe. Who is Jesus? Now, getting down to the microscopic level, there's this pastor and teacher named Louis Giglio, and he started something called the Passion Movement. And when I was a college pastor, every year we would take college students down to Atlanta. And uh, one year we, we filled the Mercedes-Benz uh, Arena Stadium, whatever. 70,000 young people singing and worshiping Jesus. It was just stunning. Well, Giglio, he has this talk on this, this thing, this molecule called laminin. And, and laminin, scientists have discovered that in our body, there's something like 36 trillion cells. So 36 trillion, 36 trillion, 36 trillion, 36 trillion, 36 trillion, 36 trillion cells in our body. Laminin is this protein that holds individually, all of, each cell has laminin that holds the cell together. It's like the glue that holds the cell together. And I was studying this and looking this up. And, and remember um, what 17 says, and it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, look what laminin looks like. If, if you have a picture, a microscopic picture, laminin, if you squint your eyes and, and look just right, laminin looks a little bit like a cross, doesn't it? 
It's just stunning to see of all things God could have, that Jesus could have spoken to existence and how he could have shaped this, this protein that holds our trillions of cells together. He chose to, to make it look like a cross to help us see that Jesus really does hold all things together. He really is powerful enough. He really is beautiful enough. He really is strong enough to hold the trillions of cells inside of you together. Now, zooming out a little bit from the microscopic level, you get into Luke chapter 12, and what you see is Jesus say, every single hair on your head, they are numbered. Are you not more valuable than the sparrows? And he says, do not be afraid. I know I probably slightly misquoted that verse, but you can see it on the screens. He knows you. I know some of us, that's a sensitive topic when we're talking about hair, right? But the point is this. The point is this. He's so in tune with the macro. He's so in tune with the micro. The point is he's in control. And why does he tell us that he knows every single hair on our head? Do not be afraid. Some of us, I think, can, can be crushed by fear, by by things we're not sure what's going to happen. We, we, we wake up at night, like, God, are you, are you, is this going to work out? Is this going to be okay? God knows. It's not to say we shouldn't have thought toward things, but it is to say that we should submit those things to the power and the glory of Christ. He is worthy. He is able. And what we should see in this is, is really this point that we should be worshiping him. All of creation was made to worship him. I think of when Jesus rode in on a donkey on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, and everybody's singing his praises, and the Pharisees look at him and say, stop these people, stop these people from, from worshiping you. And he says in Luke 19, verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. All of creation is intended to worship Christ. And so here's the question. If all things are made for Jesus, have you submitted your life to Jesus? All right, if all of creation is going to worship him, will you? Will I? Will I humble myself and realize Jesus is in greater control than I am? Will I humble myself and realize that he has a better plan for my life than I do? Everything is for him. Will I worship him? Now, Moving on to the text, we're going to go, um, just keep on moving here. We're going to get into verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. All right? He is the head of the body, the church. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, what you see is, is a bit of an explanation of exactly what the body is. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So the picture the Apostle Paul paints for us here is that you and I, when we place our faith in Christ, we exist as this unit, this body of Christ here locally in Marion. And now what does the text say about who the identity, the identity of Jesus? Well, it says he is the head. And so if you think about how does a how does a body function? Well, if a, if a body is, is 
working appropriately, the brain will, will send signals to the rest of the body, and it will move when it's supposed to move, and it will do the things that it's supposed to do. But if what happens if all of a sudden the body is doing things the head never told it to do? It's out of control, right? It's completely out of control. And so then here's the question. Again, back to what we were talking about earlier. Are, are you in control, in a sense? Are you being guided by the head is Christ controlling you as the local body of Christ. Right? It just sort of makes logical sense that we should say, yes, of course he is. But so often, I think we, we just get into our own mind, we get into our own concepts, and we say, no, I'm just going to do my own thing. He's the head, we are the body. Are we obeying the commandments he's given us to obey? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we love the Lord our God? Do we share the gospel are we making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them? So often I think we say, yeah, baptism, and praise God, we should say, yeah, baptism, but then we forget the teaching process, <laughs> right? Discipleship is a long-term game. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Moving on again, this, that was, uh, I think, number four about who Jesus is. It says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, now, what does that mean? He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Well, what this means is that Christ was the first to experience true bodily resurrection life. True bodily resurrection life. And so what that means is that we have confidence. We can know that if we place our faith in Jesus, we too will have resurrection life. We can know with, with confidence that Jesus is our assurance that we will rise to life after death. Once again, speaking of just who he is, what is his identity, and following very closely behind, we see verse 20. Uh, it says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is who gives us peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins. And so really then, in Christ, and these are now sort of following in close succession from one another, what we can have confidence in is that, that because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, which means he resurrected to life bodily, and we can have confidence in that, and because Jesus has given us peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins, which is through repentance and saying, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, we can sort of summarize that by saying Jesus guarantees us peace and eternal life. Both of those things are promises, church, that we should be confident in, that we should cling to. And as we think of just who Jesus is and the wonders of his identity, what that should do is, is really to lead us into worship. So who is Jesus? He's God. He's creator. All things are for him. He's before all things. All things hold together through him. He is the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. He is the assurance that we will rise and have resurrection life. Now, at the beginning, I said, we're going to ask this question, who is Jesus? And that should transform and, and shape our lives. And so now that we've answered sort of the who is Jesus, I think we need to ask, well, how does that transform and shape my life? I was thinking a little bit, it helped me to think through my, my kids, which is often a common thing I know. So I just want you to imagine for a minute, my, my sons are three and five. They're pretty sharp kids. 
Um, but I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning they wake up and they say, hey, Dad, um, you know, I appreciate you, but we're going to head out on our own. And just bear with me on the absurdity of this example, okay? But imagine they say to me, hey, you know, we're going to head out on our own. Um, we, we, just, we just think this is going to be best. And, and of course I would protest, wouldn't I? I'll say, well, sons, I, I love you. Have I not proven my love for you? Have I not bought you clothing and food? Have I not provided safety for you? Have I not loved you and cared for you and shown you how much I desire you? Have I not given you discipline? I know you didn't like it, but you needed it. And imagine if they said, no, Dad, I, I hear all of that, but we think this is best at three and five, that we're just going to do our things our own way. And I might protest yet again, like, guys, think about the, the, the reality of this. I mean, you guys don't know how to cook a single item of food. You, you don't know how to use money. What happens if you need to get from one point to the other? Your big wheel isn't going to get you very far. You guys can't dress yourselves. And don't get me started on the bathroom, right? Again, it's an absurd example. But think about this. We just read all of the things that Jesus is, and I said it before. Because he's God, it means everything is about him. Because he created and all things are created for him, it means all of creation is centered on him. Again, he's the way to resurrection life. He's the narrow gate that gives us the forgiveness of our sins. How often do we act like my three and five-year-old sons? I appreciate that, but I'm just going to go do my own thing. Yeah, I know you're God, but I mean, I feel pretty confident in my abilities. Yeah, I know that all creation is made for you and through you, but this creation sort of desires to do his own thing. Maybe I'll check in once a week. Maybe I'll, I'll hang out for an hour, but the rest of my week is about me and what I want to do. And imagine Jesus pleading, don't you understand that all of this is about me? Don't you understand that's what's best for you is that you submit your life to me? Don't you understand that I want to give you all of these blessings if you'll just stay in my care? Oh, sort of like it over here. Where are you? Are we the three and the five-year-old that say we've got this? And would Jesus look at us and say, how foolish. Would Jesus look at me and say, Paul, how foolish. You can't do anything. I created you. I hold you together with this ridiculous protein called laminin that reminds you that I hold you together. You look up at night and you see the beauty of the stars and it reminds you that I spoke it all into existence. You celebrate these holidays called Christmas and Easter that remind you that I arrived once and I will arrive again and I did rise from the grave. And yet, you still have strongholds in your life that you do not want to submit to me, that you do not want to give control to me, that you are in direct rebellion of. And when you think of it in perspective of a three and a five-year-old rebelling from their hopefully loving dad, isn't it absurd? And here's the beauty of the gospel, though, church, is that if we come to this realization that says, you know what, I, I am acting like a three-year-old right now, and I am rejecting the love of, of the Father through the Son. I am rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, God three in one, in my life. 
The beauty of the gospel is that, that when we come to this point of realization, Jesus doesn't say, you fool, how dare you? What Jesus says is, come here, I've been waiting for you. He says, I forgive you. He says, I love you. He says, your sins are as far gone as the east is from the west. He says, I'm going to make you into a new creation in Christ. He says, I'm going to give you good works to do. He says, all of these things and what we deserved was, you messed up, it's over. But instead, the gospel says again, come here, I love you. I'm going to make you a co-heir with Christ, and I'm going to give a new life to you. But here's the point. We've, We've got to come to this point of repentance and faith. Repentance is so uncomfortable because it acknowledges that we're flawed and we're wrong. But if we will acknowledge that we're wrong and that we're foolish, God will receive us and love us. And so what I want to do this morning as we close our time together and as we get into worship, first, if you're here and you don't yet know this Jesus that everything is about, please don't leave today without taking a step to say, Jesus, I want to believe in you. And to believe in Jesus is not to believe just in the existence that a man named Jesus walked the earth. To believe in Jesus is to say that Jesus is sufficient to save me from the wrath of God for my sins. That Jesus died on the cross for me, that I am deserving of punishment. To believe in Jesus is to understand we are undeniably flawed and yet unbelievably loved by God. And Jesus proved it on the cross. Would you not walk out of here without taking that step? And for those of us who are following Jesus, but we are rebelling, would we repent this morning? And say, I give this to you, my finances, my work, my family, my career, all of it I'm submitting to you, Jesus, because you and you alone are worthy. He is God. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is salvation. Let's pray this morning. God, as we pray, would you work by the power of your spirit the third member of the Trinity, to help us realize where we've been led astray, where we've gone astray, where we've had our own sort of little kingdoms. And would we repent of those and would we invite you into our lives in such a way that you are Lord and you are in control and you are supreme? And God, would we be courageous enough to be prayed over this morning by our team in the back? Would we be a people that are humble enough to say, I've messed up and I need help. And would we then be a people as the church who do not judge and reject, but say, Jesus loves you and I'm a screw-up too. But I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay messing things up. I don't want to stay in rebellion. I want to to be chasing after the one who chased after me. God, do what only you can do in us this morning. We praise you, we worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.